NBC News can now report that former President Donald Trump has been indicted in the special counsel's investigation into his alleged mishandling of classified documents. The indictment was filed in federal district court in Miami. Trump has been summoned to appear in a federal courthouse, again in Miami, Florida, on June 13th, which is next Tuesday, at 3 p.m. Eastern. NBC can also report that Trump has been indicted on at least seven counts. We know that two of those charges are making false statements and conspiracy to obstruct justice. The New York Times reports that those charges also include willfully retaining national defense secrets in violation of the Espionage Act, according to people familiar with the matter. NBC News has not independently verified that reporting. It is important to note here that a conspiracy charge requires at least two people. This is now the second indictment that Trump has faced since leaving office after Manhattan prosecutors charged him with 34 felony counts earlier this year over alleged hush money payments. In a post on his Truth Social Media site announcing the indictment, Trump wrote, The corrupt Biden administration has informed my attorneys that I have been indicted. I am an innocent man. And tonight, Trump posted a four-minute video repeatedly claiming that the investigation is a hoax and that it is politically motivated. They can't stop because it's election interference at the highest level. There's never been anything like what's happened. They figured the way they're going to stop us is by using what's called warfare. And that's what it is. This is warfare for the law. But it's called election interference. They're trying to destroy your reputation so they can win an election. Joining me now are my MSNBC colleagues, Ari Melber and Lawrence O'Donnell. Also with us is Laura Jarrett, NBC News senior legal correspondent. Thank you all for joining me here today. Ari um, and Lawrence, this is literally a moment where American democracy is geared up to protect itself against the alleged crimes of a man who was president and would very much like to be president again. Lawrence, how are you thinking about this moment as far as it is a referendum on our ability to self-govern. Alex, the name of the case, when we see it in writing on Tuesday, is going to be the United States of America versus Donald J. Trump. That is the United States of America, the executive branch, charging the former head of the executive branch of the United States of America, the government. This, uh, this is something that we have been headed for when you, f- when you really reach back and feel our history uh, th- that really should have been head o- headed off 49 years ago. 49 years ago, the president of the United States made a terrible mistake. We now know. Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon a month after leaving office, Richard Nixon was, beyond a reasonable doubt, guilty of multiple federal crimes that he was a co-conspirator on, for which other people went to prison. He would have been convicted of federal crimes, and this would be the second time, which, by the way, would be very important uh, to the Trump voter, that this is not the first tortured victim of the law actually reaching into uh, a, a former president's behavior. Uh, and so this is a moment in history that is now unlike any other moment in history. This is making Alvin Bragg feel really comfortable because <laughs> he's, he's going to be very able, happy. He's going to be able to work without a lot of people knocking on his door, wondering what's going on, because this is so much more important in every legal sense uh, what's going to be happening in this case in Florida. Yeah, this isn't a district attorney who Donald Trump can call names and harass in the same way. It is the United States government, as you Mm -hmm. say, the the United States versus Donald Trump, Ari. And when we talk about the charges that we are hearing about, the NBC News can report and confirm. Talk to me a little bit about the gravity. We're talking about potential obstruction of justice and conspiracy to make, or I believe, conspiracy to make false statements. Everything changes now. This is a very serious federal case. Uh, What started when Donald Trump went down that escalator with all of his very public and brazen promises um, to overthrow all tradition, standards, rules, law, and norms to attack the FBI and law enforcement, what culminated in a way on January 6th, which is still under Jack Smith's investigation. Now, today, everything changes. The likelihood that Donald Trump um, 
is, for legal reasons, unable to continue running for president or assume the office is much higher. The likelihood that he is convicted and go to goes to prison is much higher. Legally, he is presumed innocent and he's afforded all of his rights. But the biggest problem for him, Alex, and I want to say this quite clearly because we've been following this case tonight. The problem for Donald Trump facing these federal charges that carry years in prison is that he did it and he admitted it, by which I mean under court order. They got the darn docs. And then he publicly said, even when Hannity and others tried to help him, well, you wouldn't do that. Yes, I would. Yes, Yes, I did. I have that authority. And so in that sense, he's legally presumed innocent and he could still find a jury sympathetic to some less legal, less factual defense. And those exist. Uh, Sometimes people feel bad about an officer or a military member on the stand. But what they're supposed to do is follow the facts and the law. And you already have that. And then another related point, the worst witnesses are his own people, uh, as Lawrence and you have covered. We've seen that before. The difference here is you have a current lawyer, you have other aides. Um, it is a serious night, but I do reach for the wisdom of 21 Savage, who said, how many problems you got? A lot. How many lawyers you got? A lot. How many people done left you out to rot? A lot. And these lawyers, including Mr. Corcoran, who has been trying to save himself, making voice notes, who was four hours with the grand jury, who was part of why a judge said they were making plans to commit crimes together and they pierced the privilege for crime fraud exception. Yeah. Donald Trump doesn't just start in the hole. He starts with a lot of this case, what we would call legally proven. Mm -hmm. He's also legally presumed innocent, but he is starting out. Really, really behind. Well, just for the Alex, layman. He has just one quick point. He has one less lawyer tonight. He he lost uh, Tim Parlatore on May 16th. He was Tim Parlatore was on my show last night. One thing he did say was that he didn't see how Donald Trump could possibly testify in his own defense in this case. Okay, so. So that's how bad he thinks this is for Donald Trump. That's can't, one of his lawyers yeah, that's saying that's one of his that. lawyers saying you can't put him on the witness stand. So if you assume that and then you stare at these uh, these allegations as we know them, you start to say, well, how can you defend it? Like, what is the defense? Mm-hmm. And I was kind of I spent a lot of time asking him for a defense last night and none emerged. And so that's that's the state this case is as of right now. Well, and and to be clear, we played some of the sound of Trump's video response to all this. He's not offering a defense of no, his actions. He's no. suggesting that the that the that the DOJ is committing um uh, election election interference because this is being this the, these indictments are coming down at the precise moment that he is of course running for president in 2024. It's as if he he's saying, "Oh, I see your I see your charge. I'll raise you one. This is this is the legalese that I can and spout." By the way, the the king of America election interference (laughs) tonight uses the phrase yes. election interference about Merrick Garland and the Justice Department. It is thick irony. I want to bring in um, Laura Jarrett. Laura, help me out in, in terms of breaking down some of the charges that we do know about. Obstruction conspiracy. Can you flesh that out a little bit for the layman in, in terms of what that in what that sort of entails and portends? Because it would seem to imply more than one person. It would. And you would be right about that. And the important thing to note is that you don't actually have to succeed uh, in completing that conspiracy. And so one of the things I'll be looking for is to see how exactly the special counsel backs this up. What facts, what evidence, what tapes, what documents, um, who, if anyone, cooperated with this? We need to understand some of the facts that are going to back this up. But just to take a step back, we did not even know about this federal grand jury this time last week. So much mm-hmm. has happened over this period, uh, which is just remarkable. It, it, it's extraordinary how much has developed here, how the grand jury was working away all this time unbeknownst to us, which really is a reflection on the special counsel's process. Look at how they went about their work, despite all the attacks on the Justice Department, on prosecutors, on the judges, on jurors themselves at times. These prosecutors quietly were working there with lay people in Florida trying to figure out how to get to the bottom of what happened here. And it really has been a stress test for the better part of the last seven years as the, tr- as the Trump, uh, while president and now as the ex-president, um, 
has to try to take on the government single-handedly and has tried to attack this entire process. And yet the special counsel went on with his work quietly and appears to have got the job done and appears to have secured that indictment from a federal grand jury in Florida. Now, Alex, that doesn't mean that this case will be easy. It doesn't mean that there won't be attacks and that there won't be efforts to try to make the case go away. But I just think it is remarkable to take a step back and, and recognize where we are uh, as a matter of history and just legally. This is the former president facing federal charges. We are talking about decades in prison if he was convicted. Again, we'll have to see the exact charges. But the Espionage Act, this, this was reserved for circumstances in which people were trying to attack the United States. Obviously, it can be much broader than that. It's not necessarily reserved just for people who were acting as a spy. But just to think about what the whole purpose was for someone who held the highest office to be charged with anything remotely close to that should be astonishing to us. Laura, when we talk about the charges, I know NBC News can confirm making false statements and the obstruction of justice conspiracy. The New York Times is, as you mentioned, um, reporting that willfully retaining national defense secrets in violation of the Espionage Act are also one of the charges. Do we have an expectation about when this set of charges is going to get unsealed? Because it presently remains sealed. You would think it would come pretty fast, because right now we're operating in an information vacuum. And obviously the Justice Department is trying to play this by the book. And you can understand why, when it's up against, uh, you know, so much pressure, it's trying to hold the line. And trying to do what it normally does in the normal case. But this is not the normal case. He's not a flight risk. Everyone knows where he is any minute, any given second. And so the sort of normal reasons for why you would keep this under seal, I I think you might see the Justice Department go and ask a federal judge to get this unsealed so that it can actually make public what has happened here before Tuesday's arraignment, which is where you would normally see it unsealed. I I just cannot see this holding until Tuesday. Yeah. And to Ari, to, to Laura's point, I mean, Trump is already fundraising off of this. Republicans are beginning to comment. The White House has not commented on this, which I think is quite telling. But one would think that the DOJ would like to get its case out in the open so that it's not just absorbing the incoming from opponents of, of taking this case in the first place. I guess my question to you would be, do you see the fact that Jack Smith has not said anything, that he quietly moved this down to Florida? that he is going to a jury pool and a potential judge selection that is less favorable to his cause. Is that a sign of confidence? It's certainly a sign of professionalism um, because he's doing exactly what you're supposed to do under the law, which is not bend or spin and try to find the most hospitable possible jury pool. You're supposed to follow the facts and the law, and that's what we think they're doing. I will say, when we think about how long we've been following this era, and I think us around the table, Laura, others have been steeped in this. Mm -hmm. Jack Smith has the whole world listening and he hasn't said a thing yet. Mm -hmm. And that's his style. Mueller had that style too, but Mueller was always operating with the ceiling of the DOJ rule. So it could never end with an indictment. And Trump took that and tried to exploit that. Smith hasn't said a word and everyone's listening. So I would, I would interpret what we've seen thus far that the DOJ, while tonight they gave a standard no comment, and yes, they may say to a judge, this is a little different, let's unseal. But I don't think Mr. Smith, Special Counsel Smith, is thinking about a news cycle of Friday to Tuesday or Tuesday to the following yeah. Friday. I think he is looking at, History. yes, a somewhat more conservative state and jury pool and mm-hmm. saying, once we select people who commit to be impartial and understand the rules and present these facts— uh, he thinks with seven counts, he will win. He thinks he'll win all seven or the bulk of them. Sometimes you throw in one or two prosecutors sometimes do what's called, you know, a menu charge. Um, you think you can prove all seven, but you recognize the jury may waver. Uh, but no, he is not running around doing anything other than what he thinks the facts show. And one more point is we've all been following this. MSNBC viewers have been w- watching. And what do we learned? Uh, Laura mentioned what we learned just from the last few days. Tonight, we learned that Merrick Garland did exactly what he said he would do, mm. that he'd hire a career nonpartisan professional. Uh, someone who oversaw, uh, at the time, big prosecution of Democrat John Edwards, um, and that he would take the recommendation. And we know under the special counsel rules, had they disagreed, it would be public. It goes to Congress. So we learned tonight that Smith 
is it indicting and that Garland approved it. Um, Laura, one more question to you. I know you have a busy night. Um, <clears throat> what do we expect in terms of the timeline here? Uh, we know that the special counsel, of course, has the January 6th investigation that is not yet complete. Um, what is the expected timeline beyond Tuesday's arraignment date? Well, certainly the January 6th piece of this is in, is important. And, you know, we've obviously been so focused on just one slice of this for good reason, because he's under federal indictment for it. Um, and so after the arraignment on Tuesday, he'll enter a plea of not guilty, as we would expect. He's maintained his innocence all along. Then he will get discovery. And this will go on for some months. And it's hard to put a timestamp on it. I know everyone wants to figure out when is this going to go to trial? Could it go to trial in the summer before the election? We don't know. And that's okay. And this will play out as it does in the normal course. The January 6th investigation, that is quite active. There are grand jurors going in to hear testimony on that case all the time, including today. And so we should not take our eye off of that. We reported just yesterday, we broke the news, Steve Bannon, someone who is couldn't be more important to the January 6th investigation. Obviously, a close aide to the former president. He has been subpoenaed in that case. Now, we don't know whether he'll actually go in front of that grand jury, but that could be a, a meaningful piece of the puzzle here. And so the grand jury, the January 6th piece of this, uh, I think, is is certainly a, a, an open question on that timeline. And even if the special counsel isn't prepared to indict on that for some time, it's worth keeping that in our sights. Laura, thank you for your time and excellent reporting. Uh, go forth and be successful in more of it. Ari and Lawrence, please do not go anywhere. Stick around with me. I also want to bring in now to this riveting and breaking news conversation, Brandon Van Grack, former national security official at the Justice Department and a former prosecutor on special counsel Robert Mueller's team, and Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney and MSNBC legal analyst. Thank you guys for joining me on this busy night. Brandon, I, I have been reading your quotes in a lot of news coverage about the move uh, for, of this, uh, uh, the, well, the charging in Florida and the impaneling of a grand jury down in Miami. It was a surprise to many people who are watching this. As, as we now see, the, Donald Trump has been indicted by a Florida grand jury. What is your expectation about how that changes the dynamics of this at trial? Uh, well, I think most people speculate that there would have been a preference to try this case in the District of Columbia. You have more experienced judges on these issues, uh, a more favorable jury uh, as well. I think in the end, it doesn't matter because what this signals is that Special Counsel Smith and his team simply believed that they needed to charge this case in the Southern District of Florida. They did not have venue in D.C., and so they charged it in the district where they needed to charge it. Joyce, it's clear that Trump is doing everything he can to suggest that this is a hoax, to say that the federal government is guilty of election interference. What tools legally, though, does he have to delay this trial or otherwise complicate it at this point? So he'll have the tools available to him that any other criminal defendant would have, but really nothing more at this point. Look, Miami, the Southern District of Florida, although every judge sets their own pace, Miami is known to be a rocket docket. They move cases quickly. This perhaps won't go as quickly as the 70 some odd days that the Speedy Trial Act allows from the time of arraignment to trial. But this is not a court that tolerates a lot of efforts to uh, slow down its docket. So Trump will certainly file preliminary motions trying to get this indictment dismissed. I think we should expect that. He will try to position them so that they can be appealed to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in advance of trial. And there are some issues where you can rightfully take that uh, sort of an appeal and others where you cannot. But the important thing about this circuit, the 11th Circuit, which is deeply conservative, is that it has already considered the former president's delay tactics twice and rejected them. In other words, Trump's credibility is shot in this circuit. He will have to come in with legitimate legal arguments to the extent he does not have them. He will be in serious trouble. And because these sorts of cases, when you're talking about retention of national defense information, these sorts of cases are so uh, heavily stacked by the government before they're indicted, it's going to be a difficult road for Trump. Brandon, can I ask, in terms of the judge, I have read some reporting that it is possible that the Trump team may request this case be transferred to a favorable judge. I think a lot of people remember the start of this investigation, Judge Eileen Cannon. What's the likelihood of that? 
so it, it certainly like strategically would be possible. Ultimately, it's sort of based on local practice. Uh, but ultimately, you know, in, uh, exactly as as Joyce said, ultimately, the reality is, is you're going to have uh, what appears to be th- the fact that they're even bringing this case in Florida. I think you you, pr- you have a number of career prosecutors, some of the, the most experienced prosecutors in national security and public integrity. You have an attorney general who's known for his deliberateness and, and, and thoughtfulness. And now you have a grand jury in the Southern District of Florida, all who looked at these charges, apparently multiple charges, and said that the former president uh, not only violated the law, but but uh, but compromised national security. So in, in that sense, I think ultimately, regardless of who the judge is, this seems to be quite serious. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more. Um, Joyce, in terms of the DOJ and the degree to which they put themselves out there to answer questions, do you have any expectation that we will ever hear from Merrick Garland or Jack Smith? So, look, I hope we will, Alex. DOJ prosecutors are limited at the time of the indictment. All the information that they can share is the information that's contained within the four corners of the indictment. But they still have the ability to educate the public. They can't argue that the defendant is guilty. They have to be very careful about what they do. But Archibald Cox, during Watergate, went to the American public to help them understand what he hoped to do in obtaining evidence in in an effort to get full transcripts. I think here it's fair game for DOJ to talk about what they did, why they did it, and what the public can accept procedurally, if not substantively. This is a moment for DOJ to help the public understand that the rule of law still matters in this country. Yeah, Lawrence, I I agree with Joyce. I mean, I, I hope that the DOJ comes out and talks because Trump and his supporters have done so much to erode confidence, not only in the sort of institutions of government, but specifically in the FBI and the DOJ. And you are going to hear a drumbeat of that kind of criticism over the course of the next several months and weeks. It is hard to imagine that Merrick Garland would want to talk, but I sort of hope that he does. There there is a precedent for it. There's precedent for Jack Smith talking about this. They they could do it. But, you know, Tuesday 3 p.m. is just a couple of news cycles away. I mean, it's not like we have to really endure uh, some very difficult waiting period. The New York Times is already on. Reporters are going to be collecting more and more details of what's in this thing between now and Tuesday at 3 o'clock. We have a pretty good idea already. Uh, So I I don't think they're going to run into very serious problems. The you know, there will be some rabid uh, Trump supporters in Congress who will be as rabid as they always are. But I think what you're going to see is an awful lot of hanging back by most senators, most Republican members of the House, uh, just really waiting for Tuesday at three to see exactly what it is they're going to be called upon to defend. You you sound pretty sanguine about the role of Congress in throwing a monkey wrench into all of this, though. Jim yeah, Jordan, it's impossible. It's impossible. Uh, the, the, the congressional committees would like to do as much as they can to muddy the waters. They There's nothing they can do. And so do you think that's just a complete yeah. sideshow? Yeah, it's just a game. It's just a game. And, you know, part of the game, part of the reason they're playing that game even a little more energetically than they might otherwise is because Kevin McCarthy gave up so much on the debt ceiling deal that uh, one of the things he kind of was doing at the same time was humoring all the crazies about impeaching everyone in the Biden administration, you know, and and so that's really all they have. They don't have anything legislative mm-hmm. to do. They lost the debt ceiling uh, situation. And so this is the thing they're going to do. But it's I- all empty. It's all empty. There's nothing they can do to anything involving this investigation. And a related point to, to what Lawrence is underscoring. No, they can't mess with it. And what hangs over this, we sort of know it, but I just want to say it very simply. 
The only thing worse as a public official than being accused of abuse of power, which is how Nixon was run out, which is why you can be impeached or convicted or be barred from running from office again, is being accused or convicted for abusing power you didn't even have. In other words, being a that, that's what this is. Being a president where they say, yes, you, the president has enormous powers and the president has military powers. If you were found to abuse the military for political purposes or what he was accused of in the Ukraine impeachment, that's a big deal. Now imagine you're not president anymore. That's why so many countries have already been down this road, because people do abuse power in office and some people try to carry it over. So if you show up at the Pentagon on January 21st trying to tell them to kill people, Right. Or abuse the relationships you have with the Secret Service who are there to protect you, but not carry out a kill order. Yes, you have a problem that may sound on TV like, oh, okay, is Ari exaggerating? No, that's legally what we're talking about, Alex, because people live and die by these classified documents, by these state secrets. Yeah, absolutely. Other people, high ranking people, high ranking Clinton official, national security advisor uh, was was Sandy prosecuted Berger. Berger for this type of crime, smaller in scope, actually, but this Stuffing type of papers thing. down his yeah. pants. And Petraeus was a war hero. And there are many people who would remind you that he risked his life. And we salute that. But not, neither that nor any other title puts you above the rule of law. And so if you then leak documents, which can literally get other people killed, the fact that you did other things in the past or had a title doesn't help you. He is now tonight. He stands indicted for with evident, overwhelming evidence of trying to abuse powers he didn't even have. I want to... Alex, for a year, uh, during the most loaded year you could possibly use this phrase, repeatedly, the Attorney General of the United States said, no one is above the law. And there were millions of people out there, all of them on Twitter, not believing him, not thinking Mm. that he really meant former presidents. now you know that when Merrick Garland said no one, he meant no one. The, the saga of Merrick Garland as a figure in American life around whom great tectonic shifts have happened, that is uh, that is a conversation for yeah. another day. But I do want to get to some breaking news we have here. The NBC News is now reporting that a U.S. Secret Service official says the Secret Service personnel will meet with former President Trump's team tomorrow which is to say Friday, to begin security and logistics planning for his movements to appear in federal court. I want to go back to Brandon Van Grack. Um, Brandon, when we talk about what needs to happen in order to make this Tuesday date go seamlessly, what are the considerations the DOJ is making? What kind of preparations are underway right now in order to make sure that the security is as uh, watertight as it needs to be, given the stakes we're talking about? You know, th- there are extensive, extensive discussions that are happening right now. You, you talk about the breaking news in terms of the Secret Service, but with the courthouse, there are already communications, I'm sure, that predate the news of the indictment in terms of bolstering security. They're working on procedure, figuring out um, where, uh, for example, uh, uh, individuals will be housed, the, the, how the former president will be processed, uh, fingerprinted, how he will come into the courthouse. All of those details will be will be orchestrated uh, in detail before Tuesday. And and just one additional point, which is, you know, we talk about, you know, is it going to be five days before we find out the indictment? And as as many of your guests have said, that would be the normal course. Um, it would not surprise me if ultimately the Department of Justice found finds a way to to unseal it before then. And, and there is at least some precedent for unique behavior here. If you recall, when there's the search warrant that occurred of the former president's home, the attorney general actually gave a short speech and that is quite unusual, but but we're dealing uh, in unusual times right now. That is an understatement right there. Uh, Lawrence, there was a fairly anemic response when Trump was arraigned down in New York City. I was there. It was. (laughs) I was getting to that point. They were the most peaceable few dozen people I've ever seen collected in support of Donald Trump. Um, your expectation for what happens in Florida, it is uh, a state that Trump won. It is a a Palm Beach County is not a county that he uh, he won, but it went more narrowly to Biden than, Mm -hmm. for example, Washington, D.C. Trump is going to use this to inflame a lot of tensions, as he always does. He continues to fundraise on it. As you said, the Republicans will close ranks on this. Um, But are you concerned that because this is the government, this is not an individual district attorney uh, at the end of his or her probe. This is the federal government accusing 
the former president who would like to be president again of seven federal criminal charges. Yeah, I, I'm not at all concerned for how smoothly this will go. Uh, the most uh, violent Trump supporters are in prison already. Uh, others so inclined watched that happen. Uh, it smartened up a lot of people. Uh, you know, people think that, oh, it, there's so many more Trump supporters uh, in and around Miami than Manhattan. And that may be statistically true. However, on the island of Manhattan, there are hundreds of thousands of people who voted for Donald Trump. Okay, within commuting distance of the Manhattan courthouse, there are millions of people who voted for Donald Trump. Almost all of Staten Island voted for Donald Trump, okay? And none of them, none of them bothered to change the order of their day. When he, when he summoned them, he asked them, begged them to come to the courthouse in Manhattan. They refused. They would not show up. Uh, I think that that era, uh, that, that moment of uh, Trumpian-inspired madness and violence of January 6th is behind us. Will you go down to Miami to just I would, take I, a tour? I would, I would love to be in Miami uh, Tuesday at 3 o'clock. I hope the right people are listening to this. Lawrence, it's always a pleasure to have you, especially on such a momentous uh, news night. Really, thanks for thanks your time. So. And we'll see you in a half an hour Very on your soon. television Very program. Soon. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. It's Monday, everyone. Happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. Uh, Ari, please stick with me. I, uh, Joyce, I have one. Do we still have Joyce Vance? We do. Uh, the great Joyce Vance. Um, what is your expectation in terms of how the, the other probe that the special counsel is working on sort of complicates or other, otherwise intersects with this one that is now wrapping up and, and any charging decisions in that probe? Because as you pointed out moments ago, you know, Steve Bannon, Mark Meadows, they have both been subpoenaed and showed up to testify in front of a federal grand jury. Adam Schiff on this program last night suggested he thinks that probe is wrapping up as well. What's your take on that? Well, scheduling is certainly going to get complicated um, if, as my former boss Eric Holder predicted on Chris's show, Donald Trump ends up charged in four separate cases. You can only imagine judges in four different jurisdictions deciding who gets to have the former president in their courtroom that day. Um, and that will be complicated um, and will be an interesting sort of a complication to watch procedurally as cases work through two different state systems and the federal system if all of those cases come to fruition. As for the probe in D.C., Alex, I think it's a good judgment that the case seems to be wrapping up. I think we know less about whether there will be charges in, in that case. For anyone who watched those facts unfold from January 6th forward, it certainly looks like the government would be in possession of sufficient evidence to charge a conspiracy to obstruct the certification of the election and that Donald Trump would not be the only participant in that conspiracy. You know, we see this charge tonight. We don't know much about it. It's still sealed. But The Times is reporting that there is a conspiracy to obstruct here. Donald Trump is not someone who tends to act alone. And if the January 6th probe concludes in indictments, I think there are a couple of possibilities. One is we could see a first stage where some of the people who DOJ is very confident that they have sufficient evidence against are indicted and the effort is made to flip them to cooperate against other people who are higher up in the food chain. Or perhaps we'll see everyone indicted all at once. But it seems that Donald Trump is yet again in DOJ's sights on that matter, as he should be.
everything, everywhere, all at once. It's not just a movie. <laughs> Ari, um, Speaker McCarthy is out with a statement today. He's calling it a dark day for the United States of America. It is unconscionable for a president to indict this president. He's speaking about, of course, this President Biden. For a president to indict the leading candidate opposing him, Joe Biden kept classified documents for decades. I and every American who believes in the rule of law stand with President Trump against this grave injustice. House Republicans will hold this brazen weaponization of power accountable. Let's unpack that for a second. First of all, the 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 assertion that Joe Biden is indicting his opponent, his political opponent, Donald Trump. No evidence of that whatsoever. Uh, we have a process whereby, I mentioned earlier, Smith has to have this approved by the attorney general. Uh, I haven't seen any reporting that it, it was tipped off or involved the White House. It shouldn't be. If there was a smoking gun about that, we'd report on that. Um, so, yeah, you have a, you have an attack that starts with a lie. Um, the allies of the president have every right to make their defense, which can include trying to say Trump didn't do it, which is hard because... As mentioned, he's confessed to much of this. Yes, publicly and repeatedly. They can also make a different argument, which is called selective prosecution, that uh, if you look uh, under everybody's files and under everybody's conduct sooner or later, that's a version of the, oh, Pence or Biden had a version of this, and this is selective prosecution. Now, those are arguments you're allowed to make in court, but you need evidence, and selective prosecution arguments don't do as well when there's stacked crimes well, when, or when your former lawyer might become an ev uh, a witness against you um, because it looks like, something that came up from the facts rather than down from selective prosecution. But they have every right to make those claims. The deeper point here is, you know, when you look at Fast and Furious or the Marvel Universe and you're like, how many sequels? Like, what's a 10th or a 15th film? Like, this one's not even a sequel, right? They, they, they just keep going. They just keep, the hits just keep coming. I've seen so many versions of this argument, of this, shall we say, lying, turgid movie plot that never land. I mean, Bill Barr appointed John Durham yes. for exactly this series of arguments. And our viewers, I think, follow this. Y'all remember, it wasn't that long ago that after years, unfettered prosecutorial powers, you can you can interview, you can subpoena, you can arrest and detain, you can indict, just like Jack Smith can indict. Problem for Durham was after all that with years, he had two cases he brought to trial. He lost both of them. Yeah. And so we still have a system of laws in this country. We've reported in many ways about when, when it comes up short. But in the main, it's overseen by independent judges with the backstop of juries. And if you give juries something, in, in my experience, and there are exceptions, but generally uh, something that has a really strong, clear, factual pattern, they usually go with it. And if you give them something less than that, they will stand up to it. And so... That's what happened to these claims. They have every right to make them. We'll report on them. I've had some some of those folks. I had Matt Gates on, on my program to discuss these type of weaponization arguments. Um, but the only thing that matters for Donald Trump, the only thing standing between him and a jumpsuit and a lot of prison time yeah. is a trial and a jury. It's not Kevin McCarthy's op eds. It's not someone coming along three years later and trying to re-rack and, and redo another Fast and Furious with the same plot, which is Womp Womp, Durham. Not only couldn't prove anything, he couldn't win the low-level cases he brought. Yeah. And by the way, those cases were not against a Mueller or a Biden. It was just other stuff he couldn't win. So, yes, we have this system. When we see credible reports here on MSNBC, obviously, we'll report on them and track them down. Uh, but this don't end on Breitbart. It doesn't end on Reddit. It ends in a courtroom. Yes. A, a, a point that cannot be stated enough. Brandon, I would like to ask your opinion. I mean— you're going to hear a couple things from Republicans and from this president in the coming weeks and months. One, that this is a hoax. And two, trying to draw uh, a, an equivalence between what Trump did and what Joe Biden did. You're seeing the Speaker of the House do that tonight. Joe Biden kept classified documents for decades. There is one witness, according to CNN, who has testified in both the probe into Joe Biden's retention of classified documents and the Mar-a-Lago Donald Trump retention of classified documents case. And this witness, according to reporting from CNN, said that the, the line of questioning was dramatically different in the two respective probes, that the Biden case was much more about how things were packed up in the final days of the White House as uh, Biden was leaving his time during the Obama administration. And the, the Trump uh, line of questioning was much more centered on obfuscation, false statements and sort of misdirection on the part of the former president. Can, to, to, in your professional assessment, what makes the Joe Biden case different? Does Is there any sort of peril in, in brushing aside comparisons between Joe Biden and Donald Trump as it concerns classified documents? 
It's a critical point, and, and it's important that we all spend time to to understand the difference between the probe into President Biden and Vice President Pence and what's happened here. And you can see it based on the charges. The charges here aren't just the willful retention of the national defense information, and that is the most serious charge. It includes concealment and obstruction. The indication, the implication is that former president sought to not return this classified information. We certainly know some of that from the search warrant. That's a significant distinguishing factor. In most instances where there is uh, classified information that's mishandled, happens all the time. As soon as the individual or individuals identify it, they turn it over. That's why you've never heard of most of the cases that are investigated for mishandling. They don't get charged. Uh, most of them are, aren't even investigated by the Department of Justice because they're so quickly determined to be an accident. But when you have obstruction, when you have concealment, when you have in some instances 18 months where this material was not turned over, that's distinguishing. And I think that's the reason you're seeing charges today. And and I, that's why I anticipate you won't see charges against uh, President Biden. Brandon Van Grack, thank you so much for your expert uh, opinions and thoughts this evening. Really appreciate them. Joyce Vance, please hang with us for just a few more minutes. I want to bring in now from Miami, Florida, where she has been reporting on the grand jury proceedings, MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin. Lisa, you're where, you're where the action is. Um, talk to me a little bit about what, what has happened today. We saw senior prosecutors uh, in and around the, uh, the area, which was, in, which was, I think, the first signal that perhaps an indictment might be coming down imminently. What are the preparations going to be like in the coming days ahead of the Tuesday arraignment of the former president? You're right, Alex. We did see one senior prosecutor today from the special counsel's office, David Harbaugh, who I chased down, um, much to his chagrin earlier today. But we really didn't see anyone else in the form of witnesses or other prosecutors. And it was the absence of witnesses today, folks that we could recognize, that led I and others to believe that maybe what the grand jury was doing was actually considering a presentation of the evidence to lead to charges. In terms of the coming days, I think you're going to see a lot of preparations by the U.S. Marshals Service and others to secure this courthouse. You can see behind me, and hopefully even in the dark of night, you can see how large the plaza is. This is not like 500 Pearl Street, the federal courthouse in southern Manhattan. There is an enormous public area here, and there will be a lot of efforts to try and crowd control in anticipation of the arraignment next week. The other preparations that we'll see are ones that we won't see. For example, we know from our colleague Kelly O'Donnell tonight, as you talked about earlier, the U.S. Secret Service is making arrangements for Trump to get here by Tuesday at three in anticipation for his arraignment. And then there's the thing that we can't control, which is the unpredictable Miami weather that I've been dealing with all week. <laughs> there are torrential downpours here. There are mosquitoes here. There are roosters and feral cats around the courthouse. And all of that adds an element of unpredictability and surprise prize to what will certainly be a historic occasion here on Tuesday. A plague of locusts. It's raining frogs. It all seems of a piece. Uh, Lisa, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, I think for so much time we have looked at the the elevated level of witnesses coming in to testify in front of these grand juries as a signal that this thing was wrapping up. But correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, the last witness to come in to speak to this Florida grand jury was Tyler Budowich who is a Trump spokesperson and by no means in the sort of inner sanctum of Trump land. Was he really the last person the DOJ had testified before the grand jury? And if he was, what does that suggest to you about the case they are making, given the role Tyler Butowich played in, in Trump land in and around the Mar-a-Lago document saga? Well, you know, Taylor Budowich was the former president's spokesperson between January of 2021 and September of 2022 when he became the head of MAGA Inc. That's the former president's super PAC. And by virtue of that position, he's had to distance himself from the former president, right? He can't coordinate his activities with Trump world officially anymore. But Alex, during that period of time when he was a spokesperson, I would say that he's maybe a more central figure than we would have previously thought or really talked about. He's certainly 
certainly not a figure that or a character in this story that we've talked about extensively. But he was at the president's side constantly. And most importantly, for purposes of this investigation, he was the president's mouthpiece. And he went out and made statements starting in February of 2022 with respect to the National Archives' efforts to get documents back from President Trump. And then he continued to make statements after the Mar-a-Lago search and beyond there. And those are the types of things that the prosecutors were interested in talking to him about. Now, your question about what's the significance of his being the last witness, sometimes prosecutors find that as they're approaching readiness for charges, and I think Joyce can speak to this better than I can, there are little things that they need to clean up. They've heard things from other people that when they put it into charging language, they realize there are some elements here or there that they really need to wrap up in order to complete an indictment. And that's the kind of witness that Taylor Budowich appears to have been. He was only with the grand jury for an hour. It was short. It was surgical. It looks like prosecutors got what they thought they needed from him and then proceeded to the evidence in getting the grand jury to consider those charges and vote on them today, as we now know. Lisa Rubin, thank you for braving the mosquitoes, the humidity and everything else that this entails. Sincerely (laughs) appreciate your reporting and time tonight, my friend. Ari, what is so interesting about this case and what I think a lot of people focus on is the role of the attorneys and the fact that they are testifying that that Evan Corcoran, that effectively the DOJ pierced attorney client privilege and and boy, what did they get when they pierced it? Evan Corcoran keeping audio recordings of his diary through the, the, the sort of onset of the saga with the retained documents. There's Alex Cannon, another lawyer who mm-hmm. refused to put out a statement that said the DOJ or that NARA and the federal government had gotten everything back from, from Donald Trump. I mean, the, the lawyers are key players in this, not just because they're advising their client in a legally treacherous terrain, but because they're now witnesses and potentially criminally exposed in this. Criminally exposed, which is why the most known recent former Trump lawyer who went to prison, uh, Michael Cohen, said it's like working for a mob boss. And if you know the godfather, the consigliere is a lawyer. And the way that that works is you try to take someone who has this extra protection and privilege and abuse that so they can help you commit secret crimes. Uh, Donald Trump learned that from Roy Cohn, who represented John Gotti and other mob bosses in New York. And Roy Cohn's life ultimately involved him getting uh, at one point indicted and disbarred. So there's a deep, rich history of exactly where this comes from. It's not a mafia movie analogy. It's a real life mafia lawyer. And Michael Cohen made that point. Don McGahn got pulled into this similar probe, but turned star witness. We've seen it over and over. And so what Donald Trump learned from those people and did at times pull off was, oh, if if you have no ethics and morals and you don't care about the law and this person has more protection, you put it there. It's like, and I, I make this analogy deliberately, most people hire security to do security, mm-hmm. to protect. There are people, though, who figured out that you can hire security, a security guard who has a weapon, a licensed firearm, and you try to use them to be more of an enforcer or a thug. Uh, that's not security, okay? Right. And you could get in a lot of trouble for that legally. Offense, defense. Yeah, and this ain't lawyering. It wasn't lawyering for Michael Cohen. That's why ultimately with SDNY, he went to jail, he flipped. And so what we've seen here and what we're going to learn more when this is unsealed, would be that Tuesday or before, is that Evan Corcoran, who's now recused out of the case, but a judge found the crime fraud exception, as you and I mentioned, and perhaps other lawyers in the history. Are Tim Parlatore. Mr. Parlatore, who Lawrence talked to and I had him on the beat and we went back and forth about some of this. All these folks are in a position where all of the pressure is going to be on them to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth against what? Against a client or a former client um, who's got the weight of the world on him. And that's why all of these, you know how you can't do like future looking predictions when they talk about stocks? I avoid them. I avoid them. (laughs) We can't do any of that because on the one hand, Donald Trump got away with a lot for a long time. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, no one's ever seen what it feels like to work or be around Donald Trump if folks think that he might actually be convicted in a federal case or might actually be in a jumpsuit. That will change the the gravitational and political and legal pressures around him. Um, no one's counting him out. And legally, he's presumed innocent. But a lot of this could change very quickly from the lawyers to the witnesses to the Republicans you quoted tonight, who may l- look around and say, hard to beat two cases in a short time. What is their backup plan? And, and just when you read the charges that we know about, 
obstruction, conspiracy, espionage act. I mean, this is serious stuff. And it is being these charges are being brought by the federal government. Mm-hmm. Ari Malbar, it is always good to see you. I mean, let's do it again. Uh, it's a tough breaking news night. You've done such an incredible job. I think uh, people, not everyone, it's hard and you're great. Uh, and I, I hope we've added some information. You were here with me, my friend. Hey, thank you. Thank um, you for staying. Thank late. you for having me. Thank you for saying that. I will see you more of you in the days to come. Now I want to bring in Donya Perry, a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Donya, thank you for being here. I would love your reaction to the charges that we know about thus far. And and how surprising, not surprising. Could you flesh out what you think the actual implications of these are? So I would say not surprising. I and some some colleagues, many of whom have appeared on your show, including Joyce Vance just now, wrote quite some time ago, um, we wrote a white paper, a prosecution memo that predicted what these charges would be. And it's not because we're soothsayers or, you know, um, have any particular insight into into the future. It's because we read what was publicly available and they seem to fit into a particular legal framework. And as we said a long time ago, a lot of this was not, you know, particularly subtle or nuanced. It looked from the very beginning like a lot of the elements of a lot of the crimes that are now apparently contained within the four corners of these of this indictment, you know, they're they're relatively simple. You know, for it, it appears that there's going to be a charge under the Espionage Act. And the questions there are relatively simple. Did the former president willfully retain documents with classifications or that contain national defense information. And the only question that really seemed to be hanging out there was, was this knowing, was this willful? Did he understand that it violated a law? And he pretty quickly went out there and said, yeah, I knew I had these. I thought I was allowed to have them. And that's pretty easily debunked. And so it did seem like a lot of the elements were established some time ago, at least within the public record. But what has really been coming into sharper focus in, in the, in the, in the weeks, um, preceding the indictment are some very granular pieces of, of evidence, including specific instances in which allegedly the former president showed documents, you know, kind of bragged that he had these, including very sensitive, you know, national security secrets that, you know, it, it now tells a story and it, it made me realize, you know, we've been thinking about this, waiting on this for a long time. And as these details have been trickling out, I had this aha moment, as many people I think who follow it very closely have, this is going to happen because now it's not just, oh, the elements are met. It's a, there's a narrative. There's a story that's actually very compelling. And that essentially compels, I think, the Department of Justice to bring a case that would have been brought a long time ago against just about anybody else. Donya, when you when we talk about the obstruction piece, because that I think we have the most reporting around, is there is there one thing that stands out to you as the smoking gun? Is it the video? Is it the audio tape of Trump admitting he knows he didn't declassify these documents? Is it the security camera footage of folks moving boxes in and out of the storage room? Is it the draining of the pool that <laughs> floods this the the IT room where the security camera footage is kept? Is it the do- the audio diaries from Evan Corcoran, Trump's lawyer and all this. Is there anything that stands out to you as particularly egregious and unavoidable legally? Can I answer all of the above? I really <laughs> do think it's it's the coming together of all of these facts. You know, I know a lot of these prosecutors personally, they are the best of the best. And of course, this is the most sensitive case that's ever been brought in this in this country to date. And so they are going to be as meticulous and careful as possible. And so I think there's just they built this brick by brick and it has become overwhelming. And so I think it really is, you know, every time something else was leaked to the press, you know, it just creates this this weight that I think at some point became unavoidable, you know, and 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 too too heavy um, to not bring these charges. So, and I do think, you know, as as other people have said, but you know, it it I think is a matter of common sense. Were it not for the obstruction piece of it, likely 
no other charges would have been brought. But that, I think, is what made this really impossible to ignore, impossible not to prosecute, impossible for DOJ to hold its head up high and say, you know, we do we do follow the law equally because so many low level you know, FBI analysts and other people have been charged for far less. And so I think it, it, it was, you know, all of these pieces of, of of evidence that came one after the other, at least came, you know, to us, the public, um, one after the other that just that made this, um, you know, a very compelling case and an impossible one not to bring. Impossible not to bring it. Danya Perry, thank you so much for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. And now for more on the political implications of all of this, let us bring in Dan Pfeiffer, former senior advisor to President Obama and co-host of the Pod Save America podcast and former Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill. Dan and Claire, thank you. Claire, I, what is your reaction to all of this? And what are you stealing yourself for in the coming days and months? Well, first of all, I don't think it's a night for celebration for our country. I think it's time to pause and really take in what has just occurred and what is going to be occurring over the coming months. Um, I have two hats here. I have somebody who ran for office for almost 40 years and understands politics in a granular way. And I'm somebody who spent a lot of time in the courtroom as a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of things that stand out to me. One is the decision to go to Florida is one that lawyers are looking at and thinking, okay, they want to be really careful about venue on appeal. Um, that issue is, is not settled right now. There's a case in front of the Supreme Court about venue that would be relevant to this. So they want to be very careful about bringing it somewhere where the conviction, if they get one, would not be overturned on appeal. It also shows strength on their part, Alex, that they are willing to take this evidence to any courtroom in the country, including Trump's backyard. I think they could have manipulated this in terms of venue to get enough of the charges in Washington. They could have brought it there, but they decided, let's just let the facts be what the facts are. Now, politically, um, it's interesting to me how many Republicans are coming out and saying things tonight without knowing what the evidence is. Mm. My sense is that somebody has flipped here. My sense is there's going to be a charge tampering with witnesses, that maybe some of these witnesses have been threatened, um, that they should not cooperate. And I just think it's very dangerous for anybody in public office to be saying somebody is innocent and this is just a sham and a political sham before they know the evidence that will be presented. And none of them know the evidence that yeah, the federal this, government has. The Speaker of the House, right? Yeah. Uh, says in a statement today, he stands with President Trump against this grave injustice. House Republicans will hold this brazen weaponization of power accountable. They don't know what the charges are yet, to your point. When most importantly, they don't know what the evidence is. Yes. Uh, And that's even bigger than the charges, because if they have Trump on tape, if they have witnesses that were in the room with Trump, that were his supporters. Now, are they going to move the 30 percent of the Republican Party that's going to be with Trump no matter what? They probably are going to even be more for Trump now. No. But and maybe Trump gets the nomination with an ankle bracelet. That remains to be seen. Wouldn't surprise me wow. that he gets the nomination with an ankle bracelet. Uh, Dan, <clears throat> President Trump nomination with the, an ankle bracelet. Unpack that for a second. But also, you know, and specifically because of your time in the White House, the White House has not released a statement here. Biden very much wants to keep his distance on this. Um, My guess is he's going to have to say something at some point. How should Democrats talk about this? Because it is a dark day in a lot of ways, as Claire outlined. Well, the the White House absolutely should not say anything. I've seen reports that they learned about this from the news, which is exactly appropriate. It's why we have a special counsel. It's why the Justice Department is held independent. I promise you that when the president's asked about it, he will not comment on it. He will walk away from it. The White House would do that's the right thing to do. If other Democrats want to talk about it, that's fine. What I'm going to be looking for in terms of the politics is what are Trump's Republican opponents going to say about it? I don't expect that they're all of a sudden going to care a lot about classified information or the morality of these things, but are they going to make an electability case against Trump? Are they going to point out that it's going to be that you don't want a nominee with an ankle bracelet? You don't want a nominee who is facing uh, multiple indictments. We could have another indictment next month. We could have an entire summer of indictments of Trump. And so that's sort of I think it's too early to say what the politics will be. But I, don't, I am not ready to assume that this indictment will strengthen his hand 
like the like the one in the in Manhattan did a few months ago. Yeah, Claire, that has been the calculus thus far. That wasn't what doesn't kill Trump makes him stronger, and he will use this to his own partisan ends. I kind of wonder whether this is different. It may be, especially when the evidence comes out. Um, if it's his words on tape, if there are people that were close to Trump that are providing evidence that is strong and solid, then it, it may move people off of him. The question is, who wins in that situation? Yeah. I mean, which of, the, you know, we've got, what, nine people running now, which all works to his benefit. Um, some of them would have to drop out and coalesce around another candidate, because right now, even if some drop away, he is in a dominant position within their primary. And frankly, you know, McCarthy is saying, I stand with him. McCarthy can't even move a bill in the House right now. Well, that's- I mean, it is chaos city in the Republican Party right now from top to bottom. Uh, Dan, we know that uh, Ron DeSantis has called this the weaponization of federal law enforcement. He is going to be in an odd position on the campaign trail, saying that Donald Trump is unfit, but also that these charges represent some kind of uh, uh, federal overreach. Yeah, I think what he would probably do is try to make some argument about how Trump Trump is innocent or this is the weaponization, but he can't win because of it. And so we'll see that. And I think the Kevin McCarthy statement is so interesting because it is directly related to the fact that he can't move a bill through the House right now because he is being held hostage by the biggest Trump supporters in the caucus who can decide whether he keeps his job. So, of course, the first thing he is going to do is go out and defend Trump to try to regain the love of Matt Gates and the rest of the Freedom Caucus types. The never-ending courtship of the far-right MAGA caucus. Dan Pfeiffer, Claire McCaskill, thank you both for closing it out on this big historic night of news. That does it for our show. We will see you again tomorrow.